Amen. Thank you, Melissa. Great song, great thought. That's one of my favorite songs. Uh, go ahead and get in your Bible to John chapter 14. I hope you love the Lord Jesus this morning. John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 794, John chapter 14. I appreciate Brother Josh filling in for me last Sunday morning while I was away, uh, and Brother Joe filling in on Sunday night. Uh, it was a very busy week, as I mentioned uh, earlier, I think. I don't ever remember uh, what I say. Uh, I spoke 19 times over the course of uh, five days and got up at 4.30 every morning. It was a great week, a uh, busy week, and I hope you realize how blessed you are to have uh, the kind of men that fill in for me when I'm away, and uh, I thank God for them. I hope you don't take it uh, for granted. Uh, for several months now on Sunday mornings, we've been talking about things that Jesus said exclusively to His disciples. The end of this series is in sight. I'm sure many of you are glad of that. I have five more messages prepared of the 31 I initially prepared and planned months ago, and I'm praying and have been thinking about what to do next on Sunday mornings. Pray for me. I want to follow the Lord. I want to feed you a balanced spiritual uh, diet. But as we get to our thought for today, on occasion, Jesus did speak to unsaved people. Some listened uh, because they were interested. Others listened to find fault. Most of the time, Jesus spoke to a crowd that was a mixture of people who did not yet believe and His disciples. Uh, but on occasion, uh, Jesus spoke exclusively to His disciples, and the audience was already uh, those who had already believed, who wanted to learn of Him. The word disciple just means learner. And though the primary purpose for Jesus coming the first time was to seek and to save that which was lost, to die on the cross for our sins, to shed His blood, uh, that was His primary purpose. He also spent time teaching His disciples, preparing them for life when He was gone, preparing them to be rewarded and live in eternity with Him uh, in His kingdom. Now, as a disciple of Jesus, I want to know what He had to say. Uh, I know He is a changeless Savior. Jesus Christ the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so whatever He said then, if the circumstances were the same, He would say the same things to us uh, today. When I spoke two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus telling His disciples that if they loved Him, they would keep His commandments. Uh, loving Jesus is different from believing on the Lord Jesus. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, but some of those who believe go on to choose to love Him. And it is certainly much easier to say, I love the Lord, than it is to actually love the Lord because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, to highly value them, to obey them. That's what demonstrates our true love for Him. Uh, one of the things that all of us need at times is comfort. Uh, life in a broken world among fallen people is troubling at times. There's no way to avoid the death of loved ones. There's no way to avoid conflict with people we care about. There's no way to avoid being wronged by people of all sorts. There's no way to avoid the pain of disease and age, not just for ourselves, but for those who are close to us as well. I mean, imagine the 
kind of comforter that Jesus was to His disciples when He walked among them prior to His crucifixion. I mean, He always knew what to say. And when nothing needed to be said at all. He was a perfect comforter. He was there when He was really needed. He never arrived early. He never stayed too long. He knew when someone just needed someone there and when they needed to talk. He was a perfect comforter. He knew when to put His hand on someone's shoulder to sympathize with them. And He knew when people were blowing their difficulties out of proportion just to get attention. He knew when to weep with those who were brokenhearted. He knew when something could be done to make the situation better. He knew when someone needed to just patiently wait and face the situation instead of run from it. He was a perfect comforter to His people. Now, none of us are capable of being that kind of comforter like Jesus was, though most of us wish we could do that. God knows how much pain our spiritual adversary brings in our world and in the lives of His people. Did you know that God makes comfort available to everyone today? God didn't make comfort available on our terms. God made His comfort available on His terms. No one finds comfort the way we want to find it. But we can and do find the comfort of God the way He wants to give it. And I think I speak for everyone here when I say this. I need God's comfort at times. And I would like to know where it can be found. Uh, Many of us have watched uh, the movie Forrest Gump. One of uh, Forrest's lifelong friends was a woman named Jenny. She had suffered all kinds of abuse as a child from her father. Her father had by this time been long gone and As adults, Forrest and Jenny were walking by the abandoned house where she grew up and her mind flashed back to her abusive childhood. She began to weep and to run at the house and to throw every rock she could find at the abandoned house. And after throwing every rock that was near her, she fell on the ground weeping and Forrest said this, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. You know, there's a lot of troubling things that throwing rocks at cannot fix. (laughs) Sometimes we need to know where to go and find true comfort. What did Jesus have to say exclusively to His disciples? If you would stand this morning, if you're able to stand and honor the Word of God, tell of my thought is this, I will send you another comforter. I will send you another comforter. John chapter 14, we begin in the Word of God in verse 16, and I will pray the Father... He shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Thank you, might be seated. By now you probably recognize this portion of the Scriptures as being part of a conversation between Jesus and His true apostles on His last night with them. In fact, on Sunday nights, I've been for some time teaching on Bible doctrine, and we've spent several weeks now talking about doctrines that relate to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and sins against the Holy Spirit. My desire for you as a 
as the pastor here, I want you to understand and benefit from the ministry of the Holy Spirit unhindered by the choices we make, unhindered by the false doctrines that so often are associated with the Holy Spirit. But on that night, after telling His disciples He was going away, He promised another Comforter who would be with them forever. In verse 16, I will pray the Father and He shall give you another Comforter that He may abide with you forever. See, the Holy Spirit would be another Comforter because Jesus Himself had been their Comforter up to this point. Though Jesus was going to return to the right hand of His Father in heaven, the Holy Spirit would abide with them forever. In fact, to leave no doubt about who this coming Comforter would be, Jesus made sure His disciples knew the Comforter would be the Spirit of truth as He begins verse 17, even the Spirit of truth. Now some wrongly claim that this Comforter Jesus spoke of was Muhammad the prophet. But you can only take that claim if you don't pay any attention to what Jesus says, because He says in verse 17, the Comforter is the Holy, uh, the Spirit of truth, and in verse 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He makes very clear who this other Comforter is. You see, the world will not receive, nor will they be comforted by the Holy Spirit, because they cannot see Him. And do not know Him. In verse 17, He finishes up. He says, The world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not. Neither knoweth Him. But ye know Him. For He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. You see, with Jesus returning to heaven, the ministry of the Holy Spirit would change from Him being with them, to Him being in them. And today... If you are a true child of God, if you have been born again, if Christ is in your life, the Spirit of God lives in you. Jesus makes sure that people understand that He and the Holy Spirit are one in the same. And He does that in verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And though the Bible makes the deity of Jesus Christ very clear in many places, the Bible also teaches, though more subtly than the deity of Christ, it also teaches that the Holy Spirit is the third person of our triune creator, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus comforted His disciples personally prior to His crucifixion with His physical presence and with His comforting words, and He comforts His disciples personally still today through the Holy Spirit living inside us as believers. Hear me when I say when we call on Jesus to save us, when we call upon Him to come into our life, He does that through the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we can say that Christ lives in us. Uh, He comes in our life in the person of the Holy Spirit, and we can boldly say that He never leaves us or forsakes us. We can say that Christ is always with us. He is always with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, among the ministries of the Holy Spirit in our world and among believers, He is the comforter of Christ's disciples. He is the comforter. 
fact, we sing a song here that's called The Comforter Has Come. It's all a song about this great truth that the Holy Spirit lives in every true believer and that part of His ministry is to be our comforter. If you're here this morning and you're a disciple of Jesus, are you troubled? Although He is not here physically, Jesus has given the Holy Spirit to be our comforter. And what I'd like to do this morning is make some observations and applications of the Holy Spirit being the comforter of Christ's disciples. Please, if you would, turn first in your Bible to Psalm chapter 69. Psalm 69. One of the things that distinguishes Jesus from every other world religious leader is that there were hundreds of prophecies of His life before He was born. Anything that's written about Confucius or Mohammed or Buddha was all written after their life. Uh, hundreds, in some cases thousands of years before Jesus was born, there were many prophecies about what He would be like. He is unique because He is the Son of God. Notice there is no comfort for Christ when He became sin for us on the cross. This is a prophecy. Psalm 69, verse 20. Notice this prophecy a thousand years before Christ was born. It says in verse 20, Reproach hath broken my heart. I'm full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity, but there were none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now many of you recognize verse 22 as an Old Testament prophecy that would occur when the Messiah suffered on the cross. All four Gospel authors mention Christ being offered vinegar when He was on the cross, and Matthew also mentions the gall that He was offered. You see, looking back on this prophecy in Psalm 69 in the light of the New Testament, uh, we know this is clearly a messianic prophecy about Christ's crucifixion. Hear me when I say the cross was not an accident. It was not plan B. And that Christ somehow came and His people were not interested in them and He died instead for their sins. That was not plan B. That was a plan of God all along for man to be redeemed. Now because verse 21 is clearly about His crucifixion, verse 20 is linked to it. And so it is also a prophecy of what happened on the cross for Christ. In verse 20, reproach hath broken my heart. I'm full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, and I found none. See, the reproach of being hung naked in public with criminals broke the holy, righteous heart of the Savior. His heart was heavy as he looked for pity, but was instead mocked by the Jewish leaders for whom he was dying. His, he looked for comforters as He became sin for us, as He bore the sins of all mankind and His Father turned on his, his back on Him. He turned His back on the only begotten Son. Uh, there was none to comfort Him in that moment as He paid the price for the sins of all mankind. If you're here this morning and you have the idea that the cross was of some sort of a joy to Jesus, you don't understand the cross. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. I mean, why would the sinless Son of the living God endure such a comfortless fate? For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God does not only just love the world and it moved Him to take this comfortless fate on Himself. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He died for you. Your sins have separated you from God. Your blasphemy has separated you from God. Your dishonesty has separated you from God. Your immorality and misdirected lusts have separated you from God. Your hatred has separated you from God. Your pride has separated you from God. It has left you as a guilty sinner, as the New Testament clearly says to all of us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But there is hope in Christ. And though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they can be as wool. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever turned to the Lord Jesus for salvation? Have you ever humbly repented to believe and receive Him as Savior? Have you ever humbly called upon Him to forgive and save you? And if you ever did that, it left your heart changed. If what you call your salvation experience left no lasting imprint on your heart, you did not get saved. Christ changes every heart in which He dwells. In fact, if you're not yet saved in a few moments, we'll give an invitation. And there's no better day than today to be saved. No better time than now. Why wouldn't you humbly call upon the Lord today? We'll invite you to come in a few moments, and I hope you'll do so if you need to. Jesus endured a comfortless cross and paid the sin debt for the whole world. How can you say no to any individual who would do that for you? Secondly, this morning, if you go in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4, because there's not just that there was no comfort for Christ, when He became sin for us on the cross. Secondly, because Christ suffered a comfortless death on the cross for our sins, He can relate to our need for comfort. Because Christ suffered a comfortless death on the cross, He can relate to our need for comfort. In Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 15, the Bible says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, so in light of verse 15, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, find grace to help in time of need. If you haven't underlined or highlighted those verses in your Bible, in some way you ought to. Those are key statements in the New Testament. They're key statements because of the great prayer promise. Because of Christ our High Priest, we're invited to come boldly to the throne of God to obtain mercy. To not get all the negative things that our behavior deserves. Because of Christ our High Priest, we are invited to boldly come to the throne of God to find grace to help, to get good things we do not deserve. But it isn't just that this is a great prayer promise, it is also a great doctrinal statement because it teaches that Jesus is our great high priest. He is our intercessor with the Father. He is the one who pleads the case of His disciples and represents us as our advocate to His Father in heaven. And we learn not only that He is our advocate and high priest, and that's a great doctrinal statement, but we also learn that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He was tempted in all the ways that we are, 
and yet without sin. Now, I think everybody here understands that sometimes when you and I are tempted, we give in to the temptation and we sin. Jesus, on the other hand, was tempted in all points like we are, and yet He never gave in. He never sinned. He lived a sinless life, as only the Son of God could do. In fact, this doctrine of the sinlessness of Jesus Christ matters so much because the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. And if Jesus had sinned Himself, He could have never paid the wages for our sins on the cross. But because He was a sinless Son of the living God, He could die for your sins and my sins. He could pay the wages of our sins and His sinlessness matters. But for this morning, I want to point out that Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is moved when His disciples suffer. He can relate to us grieving. Do you ever wonder where his stepfather Joseph was in his ministry? He can relate to us feeling pain. He can relate to the difficulty of hearing bad news. He can relate to us being tempted to sin. He can relate to all the pressures of life and living by faith. He can relate to feeling like you need comfort, but not being comforted. And because He has faced everything you and I face, He was tempted in all points, just like we are. He is touched with your struggles and mine. Chase Wright was a rookie pitcher for the New York Yankees in April of 2007. In his second game, after being called up from the minor leagues, uh, he gave up a record four consecutive home runs in the third inning to their division rivals, the Boston Red Sox. And in giving up four consecutive home runs, he tied the record previously set by a pitcher named Paul Foytak. In 1963, Foytak became the first pitcher in major league history to give up four consecutive home runs. On the morning following Wright's embarrassing outing, Paul Foytak wrote a letter to Chase Wright to try to encourage the young man not to quit or give up. You see, he was the only one who could really understand the embarrassment, the self-doubt, and the pain that Chase Wright felt after giving up four consecutive home runs. Hear me when I say this morning, Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities because He understands what you and I are facing. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. You see, Jesus defeated temptation to not quit on God. He defeated the temptation to not doubt His Father and His Father's plan for His life. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In fact, one of the key places that Jesus comforts His disciples is something you should be holding in your hands this morning. Go back in your Bible to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Because Christ died a comfortless death, He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities and He understands what it's like to need comfort. To be troubled. To be discouraged. To be hurt. To be grieving. So how does He comfort us? Romans 15 verse 4 it says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. 
that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. By the way, I've got that phrase underlined in my Bible. Through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Do you know one of the most oft-used means of the Holy Spirit to comfort the people of God is the Scriptures. Did you ever have a time when you were troubled and you got out the Word of God and you just simply prayed something like this, God, I'm really troubled. Would you grant under me the patience and comfort of the Scriptures? Don't read Ezekiel. Read the Psalms. Read the Gospel of John. Read Philippians. God, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, wants to help the people of God. The Comforter lives inside every true believer, and God makes His comfort available to every one of His disciples, and one of the primary ways He does that is the Scriptures. Do you ever come to the Lord's house, and when you came here, you were troubled? You put on a smile? By the way, I'd much rather see happy people than sad people. But you know in your heart you were troubled and you were bothered. Did you ever, from the parking lot or when you left your home or when you walked into this place, say, Lord, would you grant unto me today the patience and comfort of the Scriptures as someone preaches or teaches a Bible, as someone sings about one of the great truths of the Bible, as I sing of one of the great truths of the Word of God, God, would you grant me the patience and comfort of the Scriptures? Because Christ can relate to needing comfort, He can and does comfort us through His Spirit, and He often uses the Bible to do so. Let me ask you this morning, where are you looking for comfort? Are you looking to the Lord when you need comfort? Are you looking to the Scriptures for the patience and comfort that God promised that they would give? But it's not just that Jesus died a comfortless death. It's not just that because of that He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities and relate to us when we are comfortless. Thirdly, this morning, because Christ comforts us through His Spirit, it is a big deal if we grieve or quench or resist the Holy Spirit living in us. We spend a lot of time on this on Sunday nights, not just simply pausing on the fact that the Holy Spirit is a permanent resident in every true believer. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He has you sealed unto the day when God redeems you from this earth. And we spent time talking about this in detail because when you grieve the Spirit of God, you grieve Him by mistreating people. Or you grieve Him by refusing to forgive those who've wronged you. We quench the Spirit and we throw water on the fire when He's trying to cause us to have some fire in our heart for the things of God, for the things that matter most, for Christ Himself, for our family, for our key relationships, for the work we have for Him, for His church. We quench the Spirit of God when He tries to kindle passion in our life for those things and we say, nah, not me. Believers resist the Spirit of God when they know that He wants something from us and we just say, no, nah, I won't do that. You know Christ. You've believed in the Lord Jesus. He lives in your life. And yet you know the Spirit of God has told you something. Sometimes it was something directly in the Scriptures. Like your obedience to Christ in baptism. Or like you having a church that you belong to that you are a member of where you have an active 
body part in that body of Christ. Sometimes it's things that aren't directly in the Scripture. It's something that God wants from your life. Sometimes it's something you need to do. Sometimes it's something you need to quit. And it's not between you and me. It's between you and God. And if you have any spiritual courage at all, you would simply pray, God, show me what it is that you want from my life. Show me what you want that I'm not doing. Show me what I'm doing that you don't want me doing. God, show me. And if you will do that, you will no longer be resisting the Spirit of God. Hey, listen. You might think that as a Christian, you live in a casual, complacent, and non-passionate Christian life. It's no big deal because the judgment of God is not in your life. Hear me when I say this. The judgment of God might not be directly in your life like that, but you will miss what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. Hear me when I say He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have His comfort. But His comfort always comes on His terms. See, most of the world and some believers end up without comfort because they look for it in the wrong places. There's no comfort in immorality. Only shame when you consider your ways. There's no comfort in neglecting the things of God or the house of God. Only a void in your heart. That remains unfilled. There's no comfort in alcohol or weed or drugs. Only a dulling of your senses and a temporary patch over a real problem. There's no comfort in possessions. And whenever the shine wears off of whatever it was you thought would finally bring you satisfaction, you'll find yourself just as dissatisfied as before and looking toward the next shiny thing because there is no comfort in things. Comfort is the work of the Holy Spirit. Comfort comes from Him. He is the comforter, and everything else is a cheap imitation. Now in the world, because the Spirit of God does not live in someone, they have no comfort in the inevitable pain and disappointment of life. Hey, listen, we rightly feel compassion toward unsaved people because their ultimate fate is the lake of fire. Do you ever feel compassion towards them? Because it means they also go through life comfortless. Jesus isn't just fire insurance. He's a very present help in time of trouble. He he is the comfort when you get bad news from the doctor. He is the comfort when someone passes at a time or in a manner with which you and I do not agree. He is the comforter when the inevitable pain of aging and difficulties of relationships come. He is the comforter in all those things. And He wants to comfort you. Jesus wants to comfort you by His Spirit when you're grieving the death of a loved one, when you're struggling with bad news, when you don't know what tomorrow holds, Jesus wants to comfort you by His Spirit. When you're facing a big decision that's troubling you, He wants to comfort you when people close to you are doing things you know are not going to work out well for them. Is there some way today that you're grieving or quenching 
are resisting the Holy Spirit's work in life? Would you, if that's you, would you repent? Would you repent so that you can be blessed by His ministry? Would you repent so that the Holy Spirit of God would fully manifest all Jesus wants to give to you as His child? See, today is not only a good day for salvation, it's all day also a good day for repentance. I mean, why would you go one more day without the ministry of the Holy Spirit to comfort you in your struggles? Which gets us to our last thing this morning, which by now I'm sure you're feeling good. I'm glad you're finally almost done. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm not sure if those college students were glad that I left or grieving that I left. I didn't ask. Say, Brother Wally, how do you reach people in Nicaragua? You preach and teach the Bible. How do you reach people in this generation? Well, you quit entertaining. I mean, you quit acting like they're different from every other human being for the last 6,000 years, and you preach and teach the Bible. And, and, and anybody who doesn't want that, they don't want God. They might want some idol that's called God. They don't want the God of the Bible. Jesus not only died a comfortless death, and then He uh, relates to us. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmity, so He knows what it's like when you and I need comfort, and He has put His Holy Spirit in us because He is the Comforter, so we can have comfort. And when we sin against His Spirit, we hinder the comfort He wants to give us. And lastly, this morning, number four, though Christ does comfort us for our sakes, the purpose of His comfort is not just us. You know, one of the great steps you'll take as a human being, and as a Christian in particular, is just to simply come and recognize that your life is not all about you. Notice what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Don't you like the way Paul describes God? The God of all comfort. Verse 4 says, Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Did you catch that? The God of all comfort, in verse 3, comforted Paul and those who traveled and served with him in their tribulation. Paul had some tough times. God was his comforter. Notice he says that we may be able to. In other words, God comforted them in their tribulation that they would be able to comfort them which are in any trouble with the comfort that they had. God comforted them because they needed comfort. God comforts His people. But He didn't just comfort them so they could be comforted. He comforted them so they could comfort other people with the comfort they had from God. You see, God doesn't just comfort His people through the Scriptures. God also comforts His people by His people. (laughs) You know, there are a lot of reasons why we ought to be committed and faithful to one of the Lord's churches. 
Believers can be entertained on the couch watching a ball game or a Hallmark movie, and as far as I know, there's not anything wrong with that in particular. You can be entertained that way, but you'll never get the comfort of the Holy Ghost that way. See, God uses the Bible. God also uses faithful believers who've received His comfort to comfort His people. Please hear me this morning. If you have the comfort of God, God gave you that comfort to comfort you, but He did not just comfort, give you that comfort to comfort you. He also gave you that comfort so that you could comfort someone else. Hey, we live in a troubled world. And there is no such thing as living the life of a faithful Christian and not going through valleys, not going through times when we're troubled, not going through times when we're grieving, not going through times when we don't understand. And God not only uses the Scriptures, He uses His people. Have you ever prayed when you walked in this place, Lord, directed my path to somebody who needs help? Lord, help me today when I come, not just to be fed. Help me today to be Your smile to someone. To be Your hand on their shoulder. To be Your ears when they need to talk to someone. Do you ever come to church like that? I hope you do. Some of you are mature enough believers to, to understand that we, we don't just come uh, just to get, that we also come to give. Now, now, some of you have been here long enough, it's time you stop taking only and give some. But, but listen, God comforts those who need comfort because they need comfort. But God also comforts His people who need comfort so they can comfort others. Which means if you and I as a believer fail to get the comfort God wants to give us, then some people in the circle of our life will not get the comfort God wants to give them. Hear me when I say there's some people in your life who need you. That they need you to be calm in the middle of the storm. Have the comfort of God. And not just to rage and boil over like they are. They need you. There's some people in the circle of your, your life who are grieving and, and, and need you to be able to sometimes just be there and say nothing. Other times just to put a hand on their shoulder and say nothing. Or other times just to say something simple like, hey, I love you and I'm praying for you. People don't need some long lecture on Ecclesiastes chapter 9 when they're grieving. They just need someone who's been comforted by God to be there with them. Now, this shouldn't put any added pressure on us, but I'll tell you what it does do. It adds a lot of purpose to the valleys we go through. Because God doesn't just have us in mind for our valleys. God also has the people in the circle of our life in mind in our valleys. And so I say to you this morning, if you're a child of God, get the comfort of the Holy Ghost in your life so you can be comforted. But not just so you can be comforted, but also so that you could comfort somebody else. This world is broken. People are broken. I know. Most of them are broken because of their own bad choices. 
But that doesn't mean they don't need comfort. Hey, 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 listen. God didn't save you because you had it all together. He saved us despite the way we were. And so I think the people around us, they need us to have the comfort of God and bring it to them despite the way they are. Amen. If you'd quietly stand.